1: Hi from me, fans, and welcome to PO Forecast, episode 203. Well, there's no games that's happened so far, but there's still a lot to talk about with the game approaching ahead against Blackpool. Join the podcast today Andy Mitchell. How are
3: you, Andy? Hello, Bunts. Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, uh, weird weekend. Not having a Pompey game, but watching Wales completely bottle qualification, pot- uh, potentially, for the next major tournament. Always exciting for that. I know you lads enjoyed it slightly more than I did. Again, thank you for your support at such a difficult time for me.
1: Uh, who were Wales playing, by the way? I didn't keep track.
3: The Armenia game.
1: Ah, yes. Now it's all flooding back to me.
3: I'm sure it is. Yeah. Lovely afternoon. Had a had a great time in Winchester watching it in the pub with some equally supportive friends.
1: It's great to see you've got so many supportive friends. And we're here with us today as another
0: supportive friend. Freddie Webb, how are you? Oh, I am. Not so bad, Hugh. Yeah. Aside from work of the weekend, I've watched a fair bit of turgid international football. I mean, England not beating a country that hasn't been re- relevant since 1978 BC isn't brilliant. You said
3: turgid football. Did you watch the Armenia Wales game as well? I take N- it. That...
0: No, I watched uh, Togo versus Senegal and then afterwards Tanzania against Morocco. Um, neither game was that exciting. And then the England least... games were also turgid, relatively. At least there's a Pompey angle for the Tanzania one. Exactly. Monoga was playing right wing back the entire game. He actually did all right to a certain extent. None of the goals were his fault. So, any cards? No, not that, not that I was aware of. Excellent. They lost though, right? Morocco won that, didn't they? Yeah. Well, it, it was two 0 two nil up on the seventy fifth minute when I stopped watching it. So I should. Uh, I,
3: I saw his Instagram saying post not the result we wanted. So I'm assuming they didn't turn it around into a
0: famous three two win. No, they didn't, unfortunately. But no, uh, that England game against North Macedonia. Jesus Christ. Not brilliant, was it?
1: No, it wasn't brilliant. It's it's the only thing keeping Andy going. But Andy, I've got a little job for you here, mate. We used to do Lone Watch quite a lot, and I even made a jingle for it, which I might even insert into the podcast now, so if you're hearing it, I've done it. But I'm thinking, since you're a proud Welshman, you should be doing
3: International Watch.
1: Where every time a Pompey player is involved in an international game, you can provide a little update. It doesn't have to be long, 20 seconds. What do you think?
3: Do I actually have to unmute myself for an honest, honest appraisal on that or no?
1: Yeah. I was hoping you'd be just like, you know what? I'm gonna grab that title, I'm just gonna get involved. I'd love to do that voice.
3: Okay, Wales, Regan Pool ACL, did not appear. Joe Morrell in the Armenia game, unused substitute. And in the Turkey game, literally gonna have to refresh my memory here. Surprisingly enough, four days later, Regan Pool was still out with an ACL injury, as we well know. Um, and Joe Morell, again, was an unused substitute. That is international roundup, extensive research. I really feel like that contributed to the pod. You don't think we're scraping the barrel for content this week at all, do you? No, we've, covered all. Haji, we've covered Hadji, uh, we've covered Regan, and we've covered Morell. And uh, I did not watch any of the Ireland games or the under-21 Irish games, so I can't comment on uh, on Devlin. However, you're willing to go back and listen and watch all the other ones so you could provide a
1: better update next week. Mm he's nodding people who are listening
3: at home he's nodding lies and slander
1: all right let's get into what we are talking about today because obviously there's no game to review so we're going to jump back into the second part of the podcast then we're going to go through some of the bits that are in the news i'm actually looking at the notes that freddie wrote about what's going on in the news but i'm not going to read them all out it's going to be a surprise we're going to talk about some stuff that's happening in the news And then we spoke to Tom from the It's Not Orange podcast to preview the game leading up to us on Saturday against Blackpool. Right, let's just go for it. Neil Allen said in the news that Rich Hughes is saying about the January transfer window. He's going to talk about it being a fine tuning rather than necessarily an overhaul of the squad. If there are opportunities to bring in players we feel will make us better, we will look to review it. I mean, that has got to be the most generalised recruitment statement I've heard out there. But Freddie... Do you think that's just the case of John Messinio playing it smart, keeping his cards close to his chest and not revealing any transfer strategy ahead of
0: the window? Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like a generic quote. So there's something which sounded like, well, yeah, that is what the recruitment team's job would be doing, looking into, you know, basically... If they, in a nutshell, we know what they're after. They obviously want the centre-half to replace Regan Paul. That's pretty much obvious. But the bit here he says, well if there's any other players on a ridiculous deal who they can bring in to strengthen elsewhere in the first game squad, they'll do it, which every recruitment team will look to do in January. But it's obvious where the, the main crux of things all lie. And Richard Hughes reiterated in the news as well, that he wants the club to have four center halves. And that's what Monsignor wants as well. And he also said that if, if, for example, there was somebody who could play left wing and, Left back, they could potentially move over, move over Ogilvy to centre half, but ultimately they want that main first choice centre half, which is pretty much what Pompey need, isn't it?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And we were talking about replacing Regan Paul in the last podcast, Freddie. When I was listening to the extra, I noticed you guys discussed the the Sparks vs versus Ogilvy sort of debate at left back. Now, I really want to bring this into the centre back question because people would not be surprised to hear that I'm not that comfortable with Sean Raggett playing at centre-back. Freddie, is this something you've looked into on the basis of Conor Ogilvy filling in that role and playing in, in the left side of centre-back role and putting Conor Shaughnessy over to the right-hand side?
0: Well, on paper, at the very least, Ogilvy's fairly comfortable on the ball since he plays at, right, he at left-back. He'll be able to make that one touch out of his feet and then spray it across, which I think could be quite good. And whenever he's played In a back three at left-sided centre-half, he's suited very well, I thought. But to be honest, it seems that Ogilvy, is. whenever I've seen him in interviews and so on, he essentially said that he's comfortable playing left-back and then centre-half secondary. So it seems that maybe that's the position he wants to play. And I do think instead of getting a utility player in this case to play left-back, left-wing and move Ogilvy in, I think it would be better for Pompey if they just look for that first choice ball playing centre half if if it's available in January at any anyway. rate.
1: No, I completely agree. We definitely need to go and replace Regan Paul in January. Andy, do you think that Conor Ogilvy can do a job in the middle over Sean Raggett?
0: Cop-out answer.
3: Very dependent on, on who we're playing against. If you're looking at a team who have got forward players who are potentially most likely to be a threat in the air, I think you have to look at Sean Raggett as your option if you you know you looked he did a, a very good job against Alfie May for example um, in the last time out against Charlton I think in games where we're likely to be playing a more open style of play and the centre backs are more likely to be exposed then I think I'd, I'd say that Ogilvy is going to be able to do a job there I'd still lean towards him. my preference would be bring in a centre-back I'm not sure whether you look up the leagues to bring a player down on loan from a a higher league who isn't necessarily playing in the first half of the season or whether you look down the leagues to try and bring in a a centre-back who's succeeding at a lower level and playing week in week out in the January window you could argue either way on that in some games Ogilvy could do a job there over Raggett I would be very surprised if we see much of it I think that sends Quite a large message to Sean Raggett. If we do see that in terms of his place in the pecking order, I would imagine we're more likely to see Towler start above Ogilvie in a centre back role. Um, even though it's, you know, I don't think it's too difficult to deduce that he's not high up the the list of John Massino's sort of centre back rankings from what we've seen so far this season with the EFL Cup selections, etc. And uh, you know, Raggett is being selected above Riley Towler. Ta-
0: Yeah, Massino mentioned Towler in a little piece, essentially saying that he was unlucky to lose his place after the first game, and it wasn't because Towler played badly, it was largely because Connor Shawnessy came in at the Cup game against Forest Green, played very well, struck up a partnership with Paul and then stayed there, which is a very positive way of looking at it, and probably what he would say in the press at any rate. I'm still a bit unclear whether Massino still rates Towler, but We'll have to see there were you know some murmurings from not not club sources or outside sources but like analysts saying that oh you might want to loan out Towler for experience and then bring in another uh, even another center half or then move ogilvy and centre half and then bring in a left back but we'll see there's options there at any rate i think
3: it's a difficult one with towler with the whole loaning option because i, I don't really see how that can be successful because i think he's got the potential to be as a minimum, a really decent League 1 centre-back. Having said that, I'm not 100% convinced he is a League 1 automatic promotion standard centre-back at the moment. So your options are, therefore, you loan him to League 2. There was a rumour relating him being loaned out to Wimbledon a while ago. I don't know if that's still floating on. But for me, I don't think that's a good move because I think he's better than that level. I do think he's better than a League 2 level. And I think you, you play at this... Your ability improves at the standard you're playing at. So, I think if he plays in League Two, we're potentially stunting his development as a player a bit. Having said that, he's obviously not going to get a championship move. That's a ridiculous concept at this point. So, your other option is a League One loan move, and we can't really afford to be loaning him to any rival teams in League One. So, where does he go at this point if he does leave the club on a loan to get first team action?
1: It's an interesting point to say where would he go in that sense. My feeling is a lower level League One team who aren't. a threat a bit like with us you look at we've obviously lost Regan Paul at centre-back there'll be other teams in the league down the lower levels who don't have a huge amount of squad depth as well he'll be looking that can they get a centre-back in you know to fill the the gap until the summer until the rotation of the transfer window comes around again and if you look at Riley Taller last season he looked you know fairly serviceable at the back there with Deshaun Bernard so I think some clubs will look at him and go okay we've we've got the potential to have a young center back here who can play minutes has played EFL minutes and has looked decent enough in League 1. So my feeling would be to loan him out to a bottom half sort of League 1 team who are in need of a center back to play more regular game time. Now that's if we're going to get two center backs in in my opinion because I don't think you can let Riley Taylor go on loan and then at the same time you've also got to let, you know, replace Regan Paul.
3: Yeah, I think the the rumours surrounding loaning out to Wimbledon were before Poole did his ACL, weren't they? So I think they've gone fairly quiet since that happened because, as you say, if Towler now goes out on loan, you have to bring in two good quality or at least serviceable, decent quality league one centre-backs in one window. I think that's creating problems for the sake of problems at that point. I think one needs to be brought in anyway, and there are other areas on the pitch where we're looking at potential cover or improvements in January. So. I can't really see that happening.
1: Andy, you spoke about a minute ago when I tried to ask you the first question, you weren't ready for it because you were doing further research regarding our recruitment team. Obviously, there's been a bit of a shuffle around there. Phil Boardman is leaving to become Everton's senior European scout. Apparently, lots of people have been interested and applied to the role. Is there an update on that, on where we are with our head of recruitment research?
3: No, last thing that came out that I've seen was... Rich Hughes saying that progress is being made on it basically because the head of recruitment role is remaining there. And it sounds like they're just not rushing into an appointment because it is a really major role at the club, isn't it? You don't want to rush into a an instant decision that you potentially regret at a later date. I'd rather they take their time over this. Realistically, the January transfer window doesn't open for a fair while anyway. And whilst you want a new appointment in that head of recruitment role to, you know, Have a bit of time to bed in. I don't think rushing someone in is the priority. I don't think there's going to be any wholesale changes at the club in terms of staffing or obviously player turnover for the next however many weeks, what, six weeks or so until the end of the year. So plenty of time. They're doing their due diligence. I'd much rather it that way. Obviously wishing Phil Boardman all the best, as you say, going to Everton where he'll have noticeably fewer points than he probably thought he would do when he took the job. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see the due process being followed uh Hughes. i think this is Hughes' like wheelhouse isn't it this is why he was brought on board this is what we know he does well in terms of the internal processes of the club and internal recruitments and going things about you know going about things the right way and using you know licensed agents and such like which is another thing that's been on the news this week with uh, the jermaine defoe stuff so this is a case of trust the process and on this one i do very much trust the process
0: yeah, it, it's going to be a big change, isn't it? Because Phil Boardman's been there for, what, six and a bit years? Because he came in with Kenny Jackett when he originally came in as manager. And it was essentially confirmed that it'll be a managed transition where effectively Pompey will find their replacement and then Boardman will go. And uh, you would assume that Boardman will be part of the process to look for his replacement and figure out who, you know, who would best fit his job as well. So, no, it'll be a big change. Crucial January window to do that beforehand, but at least it it seems planned rather than a rushed thing.
1: Brett, how can we actually analyse Phil Borman and how well he's done at the club because he has been here for so long? You know, people saying our oh, recruitment's been good this season, etc. You don't want to lose part of the recruitment team. But considering he's been there as far back as Kenny Jacket, is it fair to say that the good recruitment could be more down to the strategies that Rich Hughes has put into place? The expanding of the scouting team, using, you know, data more, for instance. Is that more maybe leaning towards having some confidence that Rich Hughes is really the process man here and it's not going to be such a huge loss losing Phil Boardman?
0: Pretty mixed really, because I mean, even under the even under Danny Cowley and Kay Jacket, we brought in some decent players who filled a role and then were and some were sold on beforehand. Obviously there were a lot of misses in there as well. It wasn't exactly a it wasn't the same recruitment strategy all the way through with all these different managers. It's not as if Bourne was a director of football. He was effectively going down the avenues that the manager wanted. And for every Colby Bishops you, you signed, you signed a Sean Williams as well. So, even though even though probably in terms of like the day to day stuff for the staff themselves would be a big loss on a macro level, with Richard Hughes calling the shots with the recruitments, it might not be as bad as some people would think.
1: Andy touched a second ago on agents and using licensed agents, etc. This is because of the news reported by Matt Lawson in the Times saying that Spurs breached the rules in the Jermaine Defoe transfer. Fred, do you, have, do you have more of a take on the details on that? Because I know you looked up and researched the article.
0: Yeah, sure. I looked at the Times reporting and also the Daily Mail, which essentially rewrote the Times stuff. So at the time, in like 2008, Daniel Levy and Harry Redknapp dealt with an unlicensed agent, Mitchell Thomas, who was a former footballer. He became licensed later on, but at the time of the actual transfer itself, it wasn't licensed at all. In a nutshell, the FA, there was an independent arbitration panel that didn't lead to any action or any punishments for Spurs or Portsmouth as well. But there was evidence kicking around in the effort, which the FA had and what some other sources had as well. So, that in a nutshell, they could have gone, they could have taken a harder line if they wanted to, but it seems like they didn't. Clubs have been punished for this before. Bluton Town were listed as previously being docked 10 points for a similar unlicensed agent issue, but they were docked points for literally everything, so you may as well add that on top as well. I think the only thing I'm really interested in from a selfish point of view is all the stories looked into the sort of sanctions that Spurs might get Pompey people wasn't really mentioned in terms of points deductions or fines or whatever, which is a bit strange, but... It might be because Daniel Levy sort of led it, maybe. I'm not I'm not too sure. It's still an up-in-the-air thing. And obviously, looking at Twitter when the story announced it, <laughs> people saying, oh, it would be the most pompy thing in the world that they were punish severely for something that happened over, well, God knows how many years ago now, 15? But Yeah, for, for context it-
3: here, Freddie, in terms of age, Alex Robertson, who's now doing a great job for us, was five years old, so he was in year one. So it does seem a little bit like after the Lord's Mayor- Lord Mayor's show here, doesn't it, surely?
0: Yeah, just a bit. And also they had a lot of evidence at the time and could have done something about it a couple of years afterwards or around the time and they didn't. So it seems like they're clamping down on it potentially retrospectively. I haven't seen any follow-up reporting on it yet in the national papers. It's a wait-and-see job, but I don't see Pompey getting a major punishment for something, something that happened, well, basically when the club was a Premier League team before they went nearly went bust. It's, you know... It was, like, it was when the club was on a different planet, you
1: know? I was just like, going to say them. on this basis, though, are, are we not going to consider looking into this snowballing and the Asmir Begovic deal where I think Spurs somehow received half of the transfer fee when he went to Stoke? It was like he went via Tottenham and the next day appeared at Stoke and out the £5 million, Spurs received £2.5 million or whatever it was, of the transfer now, I mean, it was ages ago, so the details are a little bit shaky, but this could be something, I suppose, that unravels further if that sort of thing's investigated. Because when I saw the headline, I assumed originally it was going to be Steve Begovich, but obviously it's to do with Defoe. So there's a lot of things that happened under Redknapp. So I suppose just I, hopefully we don't get ducked points, because let's be honest, we were the the victim in this case, I think, rather than the the people that actually were gaining from it.
3: I mean, how many years has it been since we had a points deduction? Are you feeling nostalgic about them yet? No, you mean, John Messino's has come out and said that he's not overly worried. Having said that, you wouldn't expect to see him come out in an interview and just be like, oh, crap, we're in trouble here, lads, because that probably wouldn't set the best impression out there for the people doing the investigating. But, I mean, makes me wonder what the priorities are of the investigators here, where you've got... You know, the the Man City, 115 different breaches being investigated and the hearing isn't expected. I think I heard on Guardian Football Weekly, it's what, 2026 or 2027? They're going to finally get around to that one. You've got all sorts of dodgy issues going on in the Premier League with, you know, what happened with Abramovich selling up Chelsea and where the money went in terms of an international conflict filled with war crimes. You've got all sorts of stuff going on. And this is an individual transfer for 15 years ago involving a club who, how many points have we had deducted since then over a course of a few years? Quite a few. We dropped to the bottom of League Two for a bit. I feel like we went through the ringer a bit, lads, if I'm honest. And yeah, it it feels a little bit, a little bit late for all of this, to be honest with you. It's like, I don't know. No, I can't think of a parallel. I was going to come up with a parallel, but I then I realised only... my, girl, my girlfriend's next to me and most of the parallels would have been joking ones about finding about someone had cheated on you 20 years ago. But, um, she's You're a changed man now, so Andy, I'm, so it's fine. I'm getting a look, so I'm going to hit back to uh, to Freddie.
0: <laughs> it seems like, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like the Premier League trying to get all its ducks in a row and actually enforce some of these things that may have been going on the, under the radar for ages... Obviously, there was that massive thing about football government, governance uh, from the government's white paper where, effectively, they were going to take control bits of it and then the Premier League threw their toys at the pram saying, no, we can deal with this ourselves, even though they let so many horrendous things happen. So that, uh, I, we could potentially see more of this, where they're retrospectively going to look at old incidents and then try and bring them up to show that they're clamping down on stuff. Well, I'm not overly worried about it until we see a random article saying we're getting docked five points or whatever.
3: I mean, in the case of the Leeds parallel, it was the owner himself that was banned, not the club. And I know Luton had the 10 point deduction. I'm not sure if they had the same owner at that point that was the owner when the charges were brought or the time the charges were brought about. So, I mean, in terms of the Leeds precedent, yeah, it was the owner that was punished, not the club. And, thankfully we do not have the same owners as we did in 2008 i'm thankful for that for many reasons Uh, but i'd be surprised if anything came of it but it was still a bit of a oh good grief moment when you open up twitter and you know there's all the clickbait titles about possible points deductions etc etc i mean you'd sincerely hope that we're all a bit past it now aren't you and it's it's I mean, it was Spurs' fault anyway. That's the line I've got, and that's what I'm sticking with. It wasn't our fault. We were the innocent bystanders.
1: Fred, do we have anything else to talk about in the news before I wrap us into the Blackpool preview?
0: Yeah, some bits and bobs. Um, Jordan Cross did a a tactics piece and talked to Massinho about how he wanted to use his centre-halves, and that seems pretty pertinent, considering that that's the big move in January. Massino basically said he wants his centre-halves to play on the front foot and step up and want them to be brave and take the ball on under pressure, progress play when they're not being pressed and then orchestrate some of the passing out and that basically confirms why Regan, Poole and Condor see have played incredibly well because they've done exactly what the manager wants there. And then he added that the centre-half being able to do that can create overload somewhere else on the pitch and create opportunities and stuff. Given that... Are you positive if, for example, there's no major replacement to Regan Pool, do you think that tactical notion will be able to be carried on for the rest of the season? Centre Haas being on the front foot and progressing the ball out and that type of thing?
3: I'm assuming that Hugh wants to see Sean Raggett marauding out from the back in a similar vein. The Regan pool Matt Clark pick the ball up and drive through centre defensive midfield over the halfway line. I mean, this this whole like feels Flawed now. We've seen him score from 35 yards in the cup. Uh, my the entire premise of having a bit of a laugh about it. Yeah, it's a flawed premise because he's shown that he can bang it in from 35 yards. I feel kind of betrayed by that happening, to be honest with you. Everyone scores the odd goal by banging one in who's a professional footballer.
1: I, that is gotta be, as Fred would say on the extra, an outlying stat, it's this definitely not something that we can bank on. But yeah, no, I do not want to see Sean Raggett bring the ball out which just does really go to show that I feel that messino has got it in his head that he's going to replace Regan Paul with someone who can do that. Otherwise, we wouldn't still be talking about this philosophy so heavily. And I think it's really ingrained in the style we play. So, yeah, well, let's just try and get to the January transfer window still in a good commanding position. And then hopefully by then we can slot in a new nice centre-back to at least play the same style, even if not the same quality as Regan Paul. It doesn't have to be one of the best defenders in the league but it just has to be someone who can play the style of football and have the right sort of attributes that we need to be able to play the way that Messina wants to play. Fred, anything else?
0: Yeah, um, there was a bit more about a new player who's actually has come in. Richard Hughes talked about the Josh Martin transfer and essentially the reason why he wasn't given a deal beforehand is he didn't think that Josh Martin would get a lot of game time because when Anthony Scully and Tino Andrin were fit, he would have started. But with both of those injuries he effectively okayed the two-month deal until January. And he said that hopefully if he he gets minutes with us, it puts him in the shop window to either secure something here or to move on to a different place in January. And apparently there there are some other clubs looking at Martin in the summer, but the right offer didn't come up. And I like the fact that that's just a balanced, pragmatic way of looking at things. When Martin's going to come in, young, highly rated, there's no risk there. On paper, he seems like the sort of fit for a winger that we would like. He's going to be in and around the team in, in, for two months, see how he is. And, and again, there's no risk. If it doesn't work, he can move on and we can bring in another backup left winger from somewhere else. Or if he hits the ground running, he can get extended till the end of the season or maybe the season afterwards. It's I'm not used to this sort of sensible way of looking at transfers, really.
1: You want to try and hoard all the players you can the biggest, most bloated squad that you can possibly have. And then just be able to have all the tools and players to try and get promoted. There is something to be said, isn't there, about not over bloating the squad and, you know, having a good sort of a backup player in each position and that kind of thing. But having so many players in one position can just lead people being unhappy. And that's probably not good for for squad morale. you've got somebody you bring in, you say, All right, we'll sign you. And he doesn't even make the team when you're playing in the EFL Cup. So, yeah, I completely understand that. Do you actually know when Auntie Scully is supposed to be back? Out of interest. I don't think there's been any update on that. We haven't spoke about it for months. The last time, I
0: said it was around February, wasn't it? January, February? Sometime around there? It's definitely after Christmas. Lowry, off the top of my head, it was last reported around Christmas. Ogilvy has been earmarked, injury-wise, around the Bolton game. He might be fit for the bench. Roughly around there if he's got out on the same track. Marlon Pack was training this week fully on the pitch so he might be on the bench against Blackpool or possibly starting I'm not so sure. And I haven't seen anything else about Paddy Lane's calf injury at all which I haven't found. And Andurin as far as I'm aware from reading around in the news is still on the same path of when he was out for was it a month with his torn hamstring? Four, no longer Four than six that. weeks? Six to eight weeks I think. Six to eight weeks. So it's after the Bolton game, probably late December, you'd expect then, wouldn't you?
1: Do we think then with Marlon Pack in this situation, that he's probably going to start on the bench, that we still stick with the Joe Morrell, Alex Robertson in the two position, and then someone else, I don't know, Devlin or Sadie playing in that 10 position? Who would you like to see in the three,
0: Fred? Ooh, I think, well, well the way the Bolton play... They've got two midfielders, centre midfielders, who I really like, and we'll probably go into this more in the backpool we'll bit. Kenny Dougal and Sonny Carey. You probably need at least two midfielders to lock that down. So, for example, but I, I think Robertson and Morel can both do that job pretty well, and then perhaps the number ten can be given a bit more freedom in that way. It depends on if pack's fit. If Pat's fully fit, then the best midfield three is always Pat morell and then Robertson in the year role ahead. But if he's not fully fit, why would you risk him? You may as well play him in the Northampton game when he's fully sharp and fully fit, and then play a Devlin or a Sadie at Cam, and then bring Pack on later if there's still a bit of fitness there.
1: And are you in agreement with Freddie there?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think with, well, yeah, with Marlon Pack, you're going to see him making a sub appearance before making his way back into the starting 11. I think that's the fairly standard way of bringing a player back to fitness. And I would be maintaining that sort of three in the middle pivot. Yes.
1: Okay, so we could be looking at going pretty much unchanged in the game against Blackpool.
3: I think so. I'd expect that. I think we've got no players really coming back from injury into a starting role in terms of fitness uh, and no new injury news other than the possibility of no Paddy Lane's injury being slightly longer term or shorter term than we thought. We don't know. At the moment, so I'd expect. I wouldn't be surprised if it was an un, literally an unchanged lineup. If I'm honest,
0: looking further ahead, there may be a selection headache at a certain time because Australia will be in the Asia Cup, won't they? And that's from if January. That's from January twelfth to February tenth. The whole way, and if Robertson and Yengi, because Yengi was recently called up and played his debut against Bangladesh, if both of them are called up by Australia, that's Three games and possibly around a month. And then obviously the travel all the way to Asia as well and managing the jet lag and everything. There may be a bit of a selection problem back then because then you'd, you know, you'd probably play Pac and Morel if they're fit in that time and then play a Devon or a Sadie at Cam. And then you've got nobody really up front behind Bishop. I think it was mentioned that Messino wasn't going to look for like a short term striker replacement for Yengi because of how short the time will be if he's called up you know but it's something to consider at any rate
3: I think that decision will be based off fitness of other options at the time if worst case scenario Bishop does a hammy before then then you know if Yankee goes to the, the Asia Cup which I imagine he will do then I'm I'm fairly certain we'll be looking for another another player to play in that up top role but you'd like to think yeah if the squad maintains full fitness at that point maybe it wouldn't be the highest priority it's nice to see them doing well. We should have included that's that's on me. I should have included them in my international roundup. As soon as I finished my extensive Pompey players and international games section earlier on, I thought didn't do Oz, didn't cover the Aussie side of things. So, uh, that's on me. Hold my hands up. I will t- I'll try to do better. I apologize. I'll do some self-reflecting on that.
1: There's room to improve, but you've only just taken over the role since the last half an hour. So, we'll we'll, we'll give we'll cut you some slack there. I believe um, Yangi came on just before 70 minutes. Didn't get a goal, did get a shot off that could have gone, but there was a nice block in there from the defender, which stopped it going on target. So he's got a game against Palestine coming up, hasn't he? So you'd like to think that there'd be quite a few chances if he does get the opportunities there. Cool. Let's move on. All right, I'm here with Tom from the It's Not Orange podcast. And Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, no,
2: you're more than welcome. I look forward to being on.
1: Yeah, nice one. So we're having a bit of a deep chat about Blackpool when we're talking on your podcast. and Obviously, people can go and check that out as well. We'll, we'll retweet it. But it's been a fairly okay start for Blackpool, I'd say. You've, your form was picked up. But at the start of the season, did Blackpool fans expect automatic promotion or did they think playoffs, Or what was the feeling around the club? Uh,
2: the talk from the club uh, aligned the expectations of the fans, I think. So... They were talking about, you know, a top six, top eight sort of budget. Um, We were touting signings, you know, from around Ollie Norburn, Pennington, etc. So the way we built the message up to the fans, etc. Probably aligned our expectations to say, yes, we should be in the playoffs as a minimum. Um, Did I expect playoffs with Critchley coming back and the squad we've got? Absolutely. Um did I expect the style of play from Critchley that has evolved since? No. Um so our our expectations have probably dropped a little bit. Um but we certainly did expect playoffs as a consistency.
0: What is that style of play then that you've mentioned?
2: Uh it's hard to it's hard to, to cipher really. Um he's set up in a free five two system, which we didn't expect from Critchley because he ditched that after about five or six games previously, more um, 4-3-3, and he went to a more traditional 4-4-2 where the players knew their roles and it was a lot better as, uh, I, hate, I hate to sort of go back to the COVID, COVID times, but you kind of saw that against you in the COVID season where Jerry Eight scored in the 1-0 win and we set up really well um, and then hit, hit on the counter-attack and we did that a lot, didn't score too many goals, but it, we, we were a team with an identity and we haven't had that this season. So we've been slow, turgid. I think we've, not created as many chances as we want, and players not knowing their roles. We've had centre mids playing far wide, supporting wing backs. We've had um, players n- looking quite lost. Norburn sitting almost in front of Marv's in, in defence, and you know, just mopping up, tried to, try to get the attack going, and no creativity, no penetration. And in recent weeks, with, with signings and the team clicking, that has certainly changed. Um, but it's not; it's just not the Blackpool that we kind of expected and and the way that Critchley wants to play on the front foot because it certainly hasn't been that.
3: Have you found that there is a a type of game that suits Blackpool in terms of whether you're coming up against teams that are sitting with two banks of four, you know, looking for a point, maybe away games at at Blackpool or whether or not you're likely to succeed better against teams playing an open game looking for a result against you? Is there a theme there that's been apparent so far in the season? Uh,
2: Definitely the latter. And I think we... I'm probably doing Critchley a misjustice a little bit as Blackpool fans when we say we're not getting better because in recent weeks we're certainly picking up. We're just... We just haven't ticked in the way that potentially the free-flowing football we wanted. But yeah, Barnsley Barnsley were as an example, um, a one-nil victory. They just came at us a little bit and we were just we just set up to to defend and we we got the goal via a penalty and we hit them on the counter and probably should have had two or three and they should have had two or three, but we managed to keep a clean sheet. And I think when teams leave spaces behind us, we've got the players now on the wings and 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 the finishers um such as Jordan Rhodes and Karimoko in the middle. Um, to do more damage than we have previously early on in the season so I think you what have an average possession of what 58-60 I sort of had a look at um, and you create an exceptional amount of chances so it's up to Blackpool to determine whether we stop you creating as many chances as you used to at home for us to have any success against you because I think if you score early doors you know maybe one or two up in the first half we are Going to find it very difficult away from home to come back from that because our waveform is dire. Mm. You mentioned
3: wide players there, one of whom Portsmouth fans will be very be very well acquainted with Owen Dale. How have things gone for him on the pitch since returning to
2: Blackpool from his time at Fratton Park? Um, I've enjoyed Dale actually. He Hamilton um, to, to change players immediately has is, is struggled to, to, to nail that wing back position um early um and he looked horrendous defending but really good going forward. Dale kind of come in and done the defensive work really well got a goal after he dealt with you know a personal tragedy got a goal against Stevenage in a 3-0 victory but he's done the defensive work surprisingly better than i thought for a player of his ilk and his stature and his ability um to, for going forward um so he's nailed that wing-back position down a lot better than I actually thought and he's starting games and he doesn't look uncomfortable there so he's becoming a better player and I think under Critchley he's very much level-headed but also doing his role really well I expected a much more attacking and weaker player but um, I can't say I'm disappointed in him that's for sure.
0: Would you say that the wing-back spot is like a double-edged sword then because obviously you've got Hamilton and Dale who can both go forward reasonably well do they often leave a lot of space and leave the centre-halves isolated a little bit?
2: Yeah, so we beat um, Shrewsbury-Shrewsbury 4-0 on Saturday, Um, but even so, they they can't score goals away from home. But I found myself wincing a little bit um, with Hamilton leaving probably a five or six yard gap with, you know, no one. Well, he wasn't next to the or just ahead of the centre backs, the three centre backs on Saturday, probably three or four times in the second half. Yeah. so that worries me a little bit about better opposition but that's just the way that game was going at the end of the day, it was three or four nil and maybe he, you know he had license to go and do that but he's not a very good defender he can recover the ball really well because of his pace but if you're in down that side he, he's not going to be the one that's going to put in a slide and tackle to stop an attack he's, he's more so relying on his pace just to jockey the defender and um, the attacker or to recover the ball back and just nip it away from you for, out for a throw as an example but he's certainly not a defender dale has a better balance about him However, we do have players like Andy Lyons and Jordan Gabriel. Um, Jordan Gabriel is an ex- exceptional defender and really good going forward and Andy Lyons scored, was our second top goal scorer last season. Not that as much mean feet at five goals, but he is a wing back Um, and he showed some real good attacking ilk, but also a very solid defender. So we have options there, but I do think he'll stick with Hamilton and, and Dale for Saturday.
1: Sometimes we look at teams that come to us and play what could potentially drop into a back five. Lots of fans say back three and they sort of wince thinking someone's going to sit back against us and try and soak it up. But that's just not really the case, is it, with with Blackpool? And we've talked about your pressing and stuff. And even though you have sort of like the, you know, the eighth sort of less intense press, I suppose, in the league, at the same time, you created the most goals with six goals from high-press turnovers. So... How how are those wide players influential in, in creating that? Do they do they actually just step up and press high and win the ball back? Then in sort of opportune moments, and that, has, that, has that been the thing that's led to those goals?
2: Um, it's a really good question. We use we use the wingers really well. Actually, I think there's games like against Charles and Tom Thompson came in. He wasn't actually in the squad Saturday. there's Nothing wrong with him. We just got a few options there. I would probably say you're right. It's it's important to work the ball from the middle of the park and then create space down, down down the wings. And when you play a system such as 352 or 532, you are relying on those wing backs to create chances because in the middle of the park there isn't much there. Um so yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I think hitting teams on the counter with CJ's pace is is where we've found hope as Blackpool fans this season although like I said away from home we're just not finding our goal scoring form and it's at home we've really flexed our muscles I think we're second in the league your first one less game at, at Fram Park but we sit in the top two for home form so it probably ball in your court in terms of Saturday with our waveform form but we're now finding different ways of creating chances I think you've created 27 28 big chances this season we've created I'm um, sorry you've created a lot more than that we've created 29 chances but they've more so come in the more recent weeks when Karamoko has been playing because in the centre of the park he's picking the pockets of midfielders and finding spaces in behind to feed the likes of Rhodes and feed the likes of Hamilton down those wings so we have more dimensions to our attacking game now it's just whether we are going to choose to play a team which will be able to create those chances or we play not Karamoko and someone more defensively and just let you win the game because that's the way it goes with Crickley at the moment. Mm. In terms of how and when you concede
3: goals looking at the 15 minute breakdowns of the 90 the only 15 minute breakdowns where you've conceded more this season than you've scored are the first 15 and the last 15 and i'm just wondering if that's a theme that's obvious watching the games in terms of concentration that could be you know responsible for starting slow and then switching off in the last 15 of the game because that that bookending like that is quite unusual. That you know to see a team scoring more than opposition over the season in the middle the middle hour of the game, but it's first fifteen, last
2: fifteen, you seem to struggle. It's it's, it's at home, so we've scored I think four at home, two or three times the season, three or four times. Reading, Wigan, um, a few other games, uh, not Wigan, so um, Reading and Stevenage um, and Shrewsbury. We 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 score sort of midpoint of the first half sort of midpoint in the second half and we take control of games Cheltenham as one of them as well where we scored fairly early and again 3-0 at half time and we were just really decent at home it's a way we're struggling and you could you could blame concentration um, we've, we've conceded some horrendous goals away from home Wickham Like played a ball. uh, If we play five at the back, but somehow there was a player just on the back post by himself, Bolt, and we played the ball around the back. They nicked the ball off 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 Thompson and and slammed the ball home from a really decent strike. But it just didn't need to happen. If we cleared the ball, we we draw the game nil nil. Potentially go up the other end and score. So I would more say it's just vulnerabilities at the back and just conceded really stupid goals because we start the season exceptionally well defensively, but then. All of a sudden, we're just letting bad mistakes creep into our game. So you could argue it's concentration. You can argue it's just stupid decision making, which kind of coincides with each other. But if you get a fairly decent chance or get the ball in around the box and we concede, it's, it's usually something we could have stopped rather than the opposition being exceptionally good. Um, and that doesn't bode well, um, in league one, because you, you, you face strikers like Colby Bishop and players against like Paddy Lane and they will, much more intelligent players will take advantage of that and it only takes two quick goals for you to to lose a game really and we've shown that at home where we've scored 3 in 15-20 minutes and, and blown teams away but we've also been in games where we haven't taken our chances and we find ourselves 2 or 3 nil down with, with not really much penetration from the opposition more so our own fault um, at the back and although we've got the players to defend really well we we've just conceded those stupid goals where he played across goal and we've not noticed the guy at the back post. We did it against Oxford, we did it against Wickham, and we scored some pathetic, um, conceded some pathetic goals against Cheltenham, where you know he's at the back post and he just nodded it in, and Grimshaw like punches it into his own net. So they're really, really dumb goals to concede, if I'm honest. Just not being potentially switched on, or just 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 being a bit not cohesive at the back, um, which is unlike Blackpool at the start of the season. But it's hard to finger point to say, yeah, we've been poor in these games. It's more been our lack of penetration on the pitch to allow teams to have those chances, which has lost us games throughout the season. It's why Blackpool fans have been frustrated. I don't know how we sit so high where we've not been that attacking, if that makes sense. Yeah, looking at the past few games, it seems that is now going with
0: the two up top of Jordan Rhodes has got 10 goals and then Jake Beasley next to him. I assume because Beasley will make loads of space for him. But then you've got other strikers, Shane, La- Shane Lavery, who I really liked when you signed him from Northern Ireland, even though he's, he's got four goals, but he's barely started. Obviously, Karamoko Dembele if he plays for forward. Why is it then that Blackpool, you said they struggled with penetration, they haven't cre- why haven't they created those chances, even though you look at some of their
2: attacking players and on paper to look quite good? It's the question which is why we're in this position as Blackpool fans, because each week we do the podcast and each week we're, we're unsure as to, or we know why, um, because 3-5-2 doesn't really work. Um, it looked really good Saturday, don't get me wrong, and I don't, I don't, I'm one of these um, fans or football Fans, I suppose just in general that we'll take the game for what it is. And if we play, whether we played Bromley um, in the FA Cup and we looked really good or whether we played, you know, Shrewsbury on, on Saturday and we scored four, I'll we'll just take the game for what it is. And most of the time he's had absolutely zero plan B, which has just enabled us to be so passive throughout the games that we pass the ball around the back. Like I said to Hugh, um, against Shrewsbury, although we're on four nil we passed the ball around the back. The back three defenders, the three centre-backs, passed the ball between us so 336 times or touches of the ball, sorry. So they had the ball a lot between them. And I know you play a very high-pressing game. So the moment you sort of nip in or create some chance through there, we might seem a bit shaky. But he also then won't revert to a four-four-two and get Karamoko on the wings with Dale and then have Rhodes and Kwasi or Rhodes and Lavery and um, Rhodes and Beasley up there to... To, to sort of change and get the opposition thinking so we often just falter through games and and we can kind of see it on the pitch and it doesn't change much and then he'll bring Canham Connolly on at left wing back when he's a centre, centre midfielder or a centre back and we just have zero creativity other than Karamoko and and Jordan Rhodes when he's dropping deep so we've seen it all season, but Critchley is ever so stubborn. And now we've got Cole Joseph back and Karamoko starting games and Gabriel back and Lions back. We add some depth into our team, which is actually intelligent rather than just being really one dimensional and basic. Um, if he's going to stick like that all season and do it, you know, and, and we and we do well, great. But it, I, I kind of feel like we've lost so many games because of the unimagination that isn't brought to, to, to Blackpool's team
1: just looking at how you sort of concede goals and how you restrict goals it's interesting from set play you seem to be absolutely fantastic at restricting teams you know the expected goals against for you you know you don't no one concedes fewer chances than Blackpool as well as goals really conceded two set play goals all season whilst Pompey obviously scored eight goals from corners does that fantastic sort of set play defense does that translate into crossing from wide areas will that be an issue with us putting balls into Bishop, for instance, is there a correlation there between how you defend set plays, which I'm guessing are knocked into the box, and how you defend them from open play?
2: I actually feel fairly comfortable, yeah, as you say, and you know, the stats don't sort of support, the, sorry, the stats do support that. We've, we've just defensively, we've got the players, um, such as Ollie Casey, um, Marvs, when he does play is, is a bit of a unit and a very good defender. He's just not very good with the ball at his feet. Husband, as I've said to you, has been a breath of fresh air. Um, and we've also got fit players like Norburn and Dougal who are defensively really good. So I think we, we deal with that, um, really well. And we did well against Barnsley. I think they had the ball into the box like 30, 40 times and never really once they looked like scoring ahead. And more also when we've, Made a mistake in the box and the balls fell to a striker. So I think we're okay with dealing with that. Um, I don't know if you guys off-pieced a little bit, have found, uh, listened to Notts County's manager Luke Williams's piece today on set pieces and what a corner actually is um, and why they pl- pass it short all the time because corners into the box are one of the most unsuccessful things in football as an overall. So he plays it short and cr- tries to create a chance through there. So I don't know if Portsmouth have a theme of getting the ball into the big men or, or they play it in and around the box and that will be interesting because we won't deal with that as well as just getting balls into the box so um it's really interesting but yeah we we deal with crosses generally quite well we we haven't conceded too many like you say, corners, et cetera, but it's been those lapses in concentration where we've either lost the ball by playing out the back or they've just put a meaningless ball into the box and it's drifted across the box. And some like Griff um, Williams at um, Oxford has scored or Brandon Hanlon has scored for Wickham. And you've just found yourself how have we just conceded that at the back post. It's, it's very league one esque, but it's, it's something we need to eradicate from our game. If we're going to be serious contenders for the top two.
3: Brady's a big fan, a big advocate for the short corner, uh, Fans I, I despise balls. the short corner
0: <laughs> I'm usually I'm usually into my stats and stuff But I just can't get my head around why you just Wouldn't put the ball into the box I think Tom's yeah. just outlined it very I, nicely I like, I like rotating there. a short corner in every now and again But doing a short corner uh, every single time Surely it's obvious, isn't it?
2: Yeah, ironically um, Blackpool, I think, even against Shrewsbury And Bolton, we I think we put the ball Into the box one and we had like seven or eight corners And it absolutely crammed my gears Because when you need that second Plan B, which crucially hasn't really shown this season, um, that's where you want to just please just get into the box. It doesn't really matter who it falls to if it goes in the back of the net, but just just do something different because you've done the same thing for ten ten times in a row. And I think he pointed out Notts County scored one goal from there um from corners last season or, or this season and that's been the only time they didn't play it short because everybody was expecting the short ball. he put it into the box and they scored from it so you you've got to show that variety and that plan b and just uh, again off piece a little bit the only time we've gone to a back four and four in midfield is when we got a man sent off against portsmouth uh, from peterborough sorry um where uh, ollie casey sent off and we were three nil down we went to a back four um, and we looked like the team at the top of the league, we absolutely battered them, scored two goals in seven minutes out of a little steam and they got in behind and won the game four or two but it showed when we went go to a bank of four and four in midfield with one up front we actually looked like an unbelievable side at home and we absolutely ruined them so it poses the question why Critch hasn't done it this season or was he just waiting on his injuries to come back and and really flex his muscles with what he, what he did the first time around but we're, we're going to wait to see and i think saturday really poses an interesting game to to how he sets up against a side that really enjoys playing football
3: in terms of those other games that blackpool have played so far this season which team have you played against that have in your opinion been the most difficult opponents played the best football maybe you'd expect them to finish higher in the league than they are now and which team have you been least impressed with whether you got a result against them or not who are maybe higher in the table than you the higher in the table than you'd expect from uh, from your game
2: against them this is going to sound really snobbish but you know when you watch League One football and you think we should have won that game I've walked away from that many times this season and I think the frustrating thing is when we've played in these games you think we should be where Portsmouth are because we've got the quality on the pitch to, to hurt them Um, If I had to point out a few teams that have played fairly well this season, um, ironically early doors was Port Vale. They came to Bloomfield Road, they set up really well and they were quite brave in what they did on the counter and should have won that game. They had two really good chances, one being a pass across goal ironically where we didn't pick up the run, also didn't pick up the ball and no one was running for them to tap it into the net and they looked really solid, really strong and they were brave against us but also we were quite passive but going through sort of our games, we haven't lost too many games. The Probably the best team was, Port, um, was Peterborough in the first half because they blew us away. They were very attacking, didn't play many defensive players in the middle broke us down, we were in behind a few times and we were three 0 up before we could know it with a man sent off. So they're probably the best side um, The most disappointing side were actually Oxford but they were losing. They, were, they had quite a lot of illness on the pitch and I was expecting a lot more from them. We did, we did scrape a, a, a draw in the end but we should have won the game with how much of the ball we had in the second half and Charlton, I thought, well, was going to be a lot better. We were 2-0 up with nine minutes to go and we somehow managed to draw that game 2-2 as well. But I thought they were quite poor considering the, the who they've got on the pitch and their of team as well. But no one's really blown me away you know, at all, really. Um, we've lost against Lincoln 3-0, but it's because we just we missed two open goals and and we had a man sent off them quite poor. Um, I haven't walked away from a game thinking they're incredible. Um, even Bolton were... You know, we they we, we lost to a mistake, and I thought they were going to be a lot better than they were as well. So it's a game, a game of what ifs this season, I suppose. And yeah, even at, like I've said to Hugh, I think I don't know if you agree, but although you've been exceptional this season, there's been there's been times in games and moments where you potentially could have conceded, or you know, with, with better opposition, you would have found yourself losing games as well. I'm not saying you've been poor in any stretch of the imagination, but League One, you always find yourself in games. Until potentially, you know, you're two 0 down because of errors or whatever. So, I don't know. I haven't been blown away of anyone this season. Um, to, to answer your to answer oh. your question in a very long winded way, give it seventy two hours, Tom, and <laughs> we'll revisit. I, I, I really like Portsmouth this season. I think you play, like I said, brave of football. You have created lots of chances, and although you've scored a lot, said so to Hugh, you've also, I think, I think the stats say, in com, um quotation that you've missed 26 big chances or something so although you sit top you probably could have been winning games by bigger margins and being comfortable in games rather than risking the draw I know they're your bogey side but like you did on Saturday missing chances to not beat teams I know Charlton a probably an anomaly in your season or your history Um, but it probably tells a story throughout throughout the games I know you haven't drawn too many but um, that could continue longer down the line if you didn't find a. If colby Bishop was out, as an example, maybe you wouldn't win games as much because of those clutch goals from him and and those set piece goals as well.
1: Right, Tom, I'm not as nice as you, so I'm going to ask you, please, mate, for a score prediction for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers.
2: Uh, I'm going to regret it, but I'm going to go with a two-one victory for Blackpool. Although in my head, I think we're going to lose three-nil. I think this could be one of those games in Blackpool season where we could find ourselves on a turning point. If Norburn's back, we we got Norburn and um, Dougal, who's who's in absolutely fine Vettel. The last few games, he's been astonishingly good, um, and uh, you know we're rocking our midfield. And with Karimoko picking up the minutes and the experience at this level with Rhodes, I think we've got the ability to hurt you, um, with, you with your injuries. So, um, And that would only be because you're, you've got those injuries. We should capitalise on those vulnerabilities. If we're, not, if we're not brave, we lose the game 2 or 3-0, if I'm honest. If we're brave, I think we can win 2-1. So I'll go with 2-1 because you guys are going to go for a Portsmouth victory, no doubt. Um, and I will go for... Uh, let's go for Karamoko Dembele to score um, and Jordan Rhodes to score
1: Nice I like that a detailed answer I had one guest on here who just tried to scoot around the answer for about two minutes until I had to ask three more times to to make him give me a prediction but Tom it's been great having you on the podcast why don't you let people know where they can go and listen to our episode we just recorded before this if they want to get more content leading up to the game on Saturday
2: yeah, of course. So um it's the It's Not Orange podcast. Um, And you can find us predominantly, our listeners are on Spotify. But you can find us on Amazon and Apple and Google as well. The main podcast ones, really. I don't know how to get on the other ones other than that, if I'm honest. I've just started this podcast this season. Um, But um it's the main sort of platform. So yeah, we've reviewed the game against Shrewsbury to sort of tell you how we played in our last game and a bit about underlying performances this season and what's not happened and what happened in that game. And of course, the preview view, which was very fun. So really appreciate you having me on as well.
1: No, thanks, Tom. And good luck for the rest of the season after the end on Saturday, of course. Of
2: course. Um, have a good evening, gents. Thanks for having on. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate thanks, it. Tom. Cheers. Cheers,
1: Thanks, Tom McGovern, on the podcast. It's going to be an interesting challenge against Blackpool, isn't it, Freddie? Because Blackpool like to pass the ball around a lot, retain possession. Not always that meaningful on the ball. something that, Tom and the Blackpool guys were sort of not too happy about I suppose and how they can sort of cause threat but a team that can really hurt us on the counter-attack and won't just sit back and be one of those teams that sort of try and play for a draw
0: Yeah absolutely a team that hits on the counter-attack with pace and direct balls I don't I don't see any great thing going wrong with Pompey's defence there to be honest but no I think it's been an incredibly high scoring game I think there are strengths and weaknesses on both sides I think out wide for Blackpool defensively, I think they can be got at and hopefully the Pompey's wingers will be up to snuff to create those chances in the high press, but also Blackpool might create a lot of chances, like I said, going direct on the counter-attack, running at the defenders. And Yeah, I think it's going to be a very high-scoring and entertaining game, uh, hopefully three points for Pompey at the end of it. And are you feeling it to be
1: a high-octane, entertaining, goals galore game for the neutral?
0: I'm
3: thinking it's a game that we should win. If I'm being completely honest, I think Blackpool at home and Blackpool away are two very different beasts. So Tom mentioned there their home form, they're second in the league behind us. Away form, they're 17th in the league. So you have to be looking at at it as a as a game we should look to be winning and you would hope with Blackpool coming into the game, I think they've only won one away game all season. I think they've won one out of 8 or one out of 9 and yeah, I think you've got to be seeing it as if we can start fast and put them on to the back foot, it's a classic cliche. If we start quick, um, then you're looking at them playing a sort of a passive game, which, again, from what Tom said, they want to be avoiding. If we can assert dominance early doors and force them into sort of a passive mindset, they're very much there to be beaten. Um, however, if they get on top, their home form shows that they're an extremely capable footballing team. I think I put them in the top three in my pre-season predictions that we did. And I still think they will rise up into the playoffs by the end of the season because that home form is, is it Bloomfield Road they play at? It's a a tough place to go. And eventually that away form has surely got to turn, although Reading fans have been saying that for 360-something days now, or 370 days. But you'd think with Blackpool Blackpool not being a total mess of a football club, it will turn at some point in the season. So, yeah, I'd... I think it's a game that Pompey should and will win at Fratton Park but I think when we go up to Blackpool it's going to be a very very different challenge
1: yeah I've got to agree on that let's wrap this up then let's get some score predictions and get it going so Fred I want to know your score prediction please for so the game on Saturday and any goal scorers I'm
0: going to go for a 3-2 force of win goal scorers for Blackpool dale has got to get his one because it's ex-Pompey obviously and Jordan Rhodes will get the other one. And for Pompey, I'm going to go with, I think Bishop's going to get one. I think Robertson is finally going to get another. And then I'll also go for Gavin White, who will start at right wing and actually score. So, I don't want to know the odds on that prediction, to be honest with you.
3: What was your overall score prediction, Fred? 3-2. Three, 3-2, two. Three, two. interesting.
1: Andy Mitchmore, your score prediction, please. Andy, go score it.
3: I'll go with a 2-0 Pompey win. I do think that we've got the quality to see them off. I'll go one for Bishop and one for Morel coming back, fuming that he's been sat on a bench for two games for Wales, point to prove, going to bang one in. That's the the prediction. How about you?
1: I like that. You're sort of doing a full loop there by going back onto your new role as the international correspondent. But I I take my position
3: very seriously,
1: You really have upped the seriousness throughout the episode of the podcast. You you look like at first you weren't interested at all. And now you're thinking about making yourself some sort of banner to go behind you or something in the background to prove you are the true international correspondent. Back on to me, though. I'm going to go with a 2-1 Pompey win. I think Blackpool will get a goal. I think Dembele will get a goal for them. He sounds very tricky midfielder. Got a lot of talent in the centre there apparently really is playing below the level he could be playing even for a young player. So I'm going to go with him to pick up a goal. And for Pompey, I'm going to go with a goal. It's got to be one for Alex Robertson. I'm just going to keep saying it and then it's going to happen because I think unless it's going to be some sort of worldy goalkeeping save again against him, I think Robertson will get a goal and the other one is going to come from Colby Bishop. Two on Pompey. All right. Andy, it's been good having you the podcast, mate
3: thanks bud yeah pleasure to be here looking forward to seeing there's quite a big group of us i think saturday all of us can make the game so looking forward to seeing you both there
1: yep sounds good fredster good having the podcast
0: mate yeah it's a pleasure here and yeah like gonna be amazing at the game on saturday nice to see everybody fingers crossed for the three points nice one
1: and until next time play our you have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information.
2: And there is the
1: full-time whistle.